BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Doing that, I was face to face with it. It was holding me by my throat. And it felt like it was sucking something out of me. I probably should have been more scared than I was when I witnessed the exorcism. I turned and looked on my right side. When I did, there's there's a beam on the side of the tree, a large beam. It's looking at me and I'm looking at it. After I hit the lock button and looked back up, I saw red eyes staring back at me. That they're going to show multiple gods all over the earth be able to speak in people's languages and at that point it kind of converge into this one entity which will be revealed as extraterrestrial you'll realize that aliens are the gods of old and at that point it'll wipe religion out of the context of humanity no it couldn't have been a person i know that i know that people can't run through the woods like that so this thing comes into view and i see it it's 50 yards away from me it's walking, it's walking on two legs, it's huge. This is a big, hairy looking being. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season, and it's good to have everyone back. Hopefully everyone had a safe holiday, and the winter storm that blew through much of the U.S. did not hinder your travel, although it did mine, and I did not appreciate it. That being said, what's done is done, and all is good. I'm very excited for what the new year has in store for Uncomfortable, and hopefully it finds all of you well. If you've had an uncomfortable experience and you'd like to have it featured on the show, please get a hold of me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both at uncomfortablepodcast65. Most importantly, please share the show with others and make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Those are the main ways you can help get the show out in front of more people. And with that, more people listening to the show means more great guests coming forward. As I've said... In the past, I've got ideas and some big announcements for 2023. 
We have actually launched the Uncomfortable Discord server as of January 1st. It is live, it is populated, and active. Discord seemed to be the best way to make it easier for this awesome community that you've created to be more involved and more in touch with each other. I'm still looking for suggestions on your favorite guest quotes or statements from previous episodes. I want to replace them into what's currently running during the show intro. So your suggestions are encouraged. If you have something, please reach out to me via email at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com so I can get working on a new intro. Tonight's guest comes to us from Stockholm, Sweden. A friend of the show from Galaver, Sweden, international graphic artist Per Lundmark not only recommended this guest, but actually put me in touch with him. So a heartfelt thank you to Per for his help in that. Our guest has been a staple researcher in the world of UFOs and the unexplained for over 40 years. He's authored several books and has been featured in videos and many podcasts throughout the world. And he curates and maintains one of the largest archives of the unexplained. So, let's get into it. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you would, please give a warm, uncomfortable welcome to Klaus Zvan. Hello, Eric. Nice to be with you this evening. <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate it considering the time difference between the the two uh, areas that we're in. I'm smack dab in the middle of the Midwest and in the U.S., and you are situated, what, about, uh, what is it, about 80 miles or 80 kilometers away from the Arctic Circle? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it, it's more like uh, one... 1,000 uh, kilometers. Oh, oh, well, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I Still did closer live, uh, than we are. <laughs> well, I did live up there for, for many years, between 1983 and 1990. Uh, I lived uh, just a couple of hours, uh, one hour and 30 minutes, something like that, from oh, wow. from circle. But now I'm living uh, outside Stockholm, Stockholm area. Very nice, very nice. Um Listen, we uh, we had a a, a central um, person that we we both knew, and uh, he was he was kind enough to reach out to you, and uh, you responded immediately, uh, which was which was wonderful. And it, it's been a little bit of time with us trying to put it together, but uh, you've been busy, and um, I certainly do appreciate being here. Got a lot of things I want to cover, and I don't want to take up a whole lot of your time since it's so late in the evening for you. Um, Klaus, tell tell everybody because uh, you're you're an established author, you have several books out. You are a journalist, and uh, I mean you've been you've been grinding your teeth on the bones of the UFO phenomenon for what over thirty years, correct? Well, I should say forty five or something like 45? that. Forty five. Well, I started my interest in the late nineteen sixties, to be exact, but um, in nineteen seventy four. I, uh, I started my own UFO society in my hometown, uh, Mariestad, which is a small town in the south middle of Sweden. So um, I thought I really wanted to know what people saw in the skies. So me and some friends, uh, we were 16 years of age at that time. 
we uh, discussed that and uh, and we thought uh, starting a society and starting to research to meet uh, the witnesses to trying to find the answers uh, for what they were were seeing mm-hmm. that would be our thing so we did that and at that time of course we didn't have any driver's license so my father had to <clears throat> drive us around uh, around Mariestad and interview people that we have found that had seen strange things in the skies. He was sitting waiting in the car while we were inside houses and uh, and knocking doors and taping interviews and bringing this fantastic form with questions, filling it out, taking pictures and going back. So that, it really started me in 1974. Uh, and since then I've been working with UFO research three or four hours every day, I should say since uh, 1974 yeah that's a considerable amount of time you know and you know like so my show we cover we cover all the high strangeness we talk about bigfoot we talk about anything that is not what would be perceived as being normal and you know time and time again i'll have people that'll talk to me outside of an interview after hearing one of my shows and, you know, you get the typical eye rolls and you get the, yeah, I don't know, I don't buy all that stuff. You know, and one of my arguments are, whether it be the Bigfoot, uh, the, the Bigfoot field or whether it be ufology, the number of people who have spent an inordinate amount of their life chasing this and looking into it and researching it, at some point, it would have to become painfully obvious that uh, I've been on a wild goose chase and you would stop. You, you, you don't talk to people who have invested 45 years of their life into this. And it's just, there's too much to it. There's too much to it, you know? And I guess that brings me to, um, you know, a a rather exciting event because, you know, my, for myself, I was fully obsessed with UFOs at the age of five, (laughs) you know, and, and I've said this on multiple shows at five years old, I'm 57, you know? So in 1970, we didn't have streaming networks on TV. We didn't have, uh, you know, pocket computers in our, in our, in our pocket. We didn't have the availability of being able to look up this stuff online. And, I struggle with looking back and how did I get so obsessed with UFOs at that early of an age? And I, I can, I can tell you that at five in 1970, when, um, Eric Van Donneken's chariots of the gods book was turned into a a pseudo documentary and released in theaters, I begged and pleaded with my parents to take me to see that and ended up having to convince my grandmother during a day of babysitting me to take me and see it. Um, That's how into the subject I was. And I I really don't understand how I could have gotten that much um, exposure to it at that age, considering the technology that we had. Um, But it has followed me throughout my life. And I have never once um, felt like I was chasing rainbows you know it's just always seemed like a very viable thing to me and you know a couple years back with the release of of several government videos uh, that they 
the U.S. government eventually ended up admitting that it did come from them. The GoFast, the Gimbal, the, the Tic Tac videos. Um, it, was, it was like a little bit of a vindication for me. You know, it's like, I, okay, I knew in my heart that it was real. Um, and now everybody's seen, but it happened to come out during the same time when COVID was hitting the world. And it seemed to be kind of overlooked for the most part. Um, but now it seems that there's been a bit, and I, I'm curious, I guess the question I'm getting at is, I'm curious if the rest of the world has kind of backtracked on the information that came out in those videos as the U.S. has, because now they're, they've come out. We were expecting a short time ago some additional release of um, information and, and confirmation, and they kind of they kind of backpedaled on on those videos and some of them, and they're saying, well, you know, it it doesn't really look like what what we think it was. Um, so now I'm starting to I'm, now I'm starting to think that you know they did were they just testing the waters and now they decided now they're not going to release any information. What's the what's the perception of that throughout you know like on your side of the on your side of the globe there. Well, I had a long talk with uh, one of the pilots, uh, Ryan Graves, mm -hmm. a couple of months ago, and he did see the full video of this uh, look at that thing uh, video. It was taken outside, uh, shot outside uh, Florida's east coast, mm -hmm. and uh, it's five minutes and 30 seconds long. What we have seen is just a very, very short part of it. And he tells me that uh, you could see in that video this uh, V formation of, uh, of uh, objects like flying in one direction and turning 180 degrees around, flying away in another direction, which of course airplanes can do as well. But there is so much more to see in the videos that we haven't seen that just uh, let us see fragments of them yeah. and also degraded fragments of them, of course. I'm, I'm as you waiting for for the, the report, which had been overdue for two or three weeks now, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, but it will come, I'm sure of that. And uh, the rumor says that it's 366 uh, um, individual um, uh, observations in that oh, report. Really? And that's, uh, that's up it, considerably from the first report. Yeah, it is. It's uh, 144 in the first report, and one of them were, were identi was identified. This time, 150 are still unknown. It's, uh, it's rumored. So maybe they have a hard time really to see what they want to divulge for the public and what yeah. they want to keep for themselves. I mean, th we are in the middle of the war, a war with, uh, with Russia. I mean, that, of course, is, is a topic you, you really need to, to count into this right. uh, as well because they don't want us to know uh, too much because then the, the Russians will know yeah. too much. You know, it's interesting that, that you bring up the conflict with, with Russia and Ukraine um, because, you know, TikTok, um, Instagram, the social media outlets, um, I, I suppose they have their place, but you know, it, it certainly gives all of us an opportunity to see a lot of videos of a lot of things that really kind of make you raise your eyebrow. Um, some of them, quite obviously, 
right off the bat, you can tell have been manipulated. Others, though, you look at and you're like, wow, that that looks compelling, if nothing else. Um, and and I remember at the beginning of this conflict, um, one of the YouTube channels that I watch uh, pretty regularly seems to have a, a good deal of legitimate information on it, um, was, was talking about the number of UFO sightings that were popping up around the conflict itself. Have, have you been aware of uh, a number of sightings or, or interactions with uh, UFOs during this conflict? I read the report as well. It's uh, not very convincing, I should say. And uh, UFOs is not a big part of this conflict at all. It's like any other bad science, I think. The report is not very, very well uh, researched. Yeah. Uh, it's not peer-reviewed. It's just uh, something that's a couple of scientists in, in uh, Kiev uh, put together. Um, if there were real UFOs, uh, I mean, into in this conflict, we would have known about it in many other ways because there's so many journalists there, there's so many people all the time watching the skies. And I know quite a few uh, Ukrainian uh, ufologists and... Um, they are not telling this story at all. No buzz about it, huh? No, no, no buzz about it, really. It's interesting you mentioned uh, Eric von Däniken earlier on. You started your interest with this movie. Mm -hmm. I started my interest, I should say, with reading his books in the late 60s. I had the opportunity to, to meet Eric von Däniken in Switzerland and uh, spend uh, an evening with him when he was turning 70 years of age. Uh, so I was attending his birthday party in, in oh. Interland, which was nice. And I had a couple of hours with him to make an, a proper interview as well. And that was good because I was very much influenced by Erik von Däniken once. And of course now I'm grown up and I understand that he was exaggerating. He was not very well versed in what he did. He was just trying to sell books. Yeah. But he did, uh, he did hit some interesting points that uh, made me interested in, in this. And uh, that was good, of course. And, and what were those points? I mean, he showed that uh, there are things that science is not very interested in, that scientists are not researching. Uh, and it's still like that, because scientists are very, very narrow in their research. They are not very broad-minded, because there is no money to, to make this very broad research. Uh, and that goes uh, for the 1960s, and it still goes for what's happening today. And UFOs is a very, very uh, complex uh, topic. You need to, I think, understand so many different uh, branches of science to really be able to investigate them. So nobody really does it. Uh, now we are hearing from the US that they are looking into UAPs or UFOs because of air safety concerns. Right. And that is very easy, of course. That's very narrow. You can do that. But no one is really looking into the mystery. Uh, they're also narrowing it down to the UAPs and saying it's only about what the, the, the Brit, uh, sorry, the American uh, air, air pilots and uh, military men are seeing, not you and me, not right. ordinary citizens. Their, their concern is more based behind uh, multi, multi-million dollar aircraft uh, possibly running into one of these things and, and a loss of assets than, uh, than what's actually going on. 
Yeah, there are no scientists involved. Of course, Pentagon did stop scientists from, from coming into this project. There were on the Congress, on the table of the Congress, uh, I mean, suggestions that there should be a panel of scientists looking into this as well. Mm-hmm. But Pentagon stopped that. So now it's only only military that are doing this research. NASA, on the other hand, is yeah. doing their thing. They are putting some proper scientists into this. But they are also looking into this from the point of view of this being an air safety issue. That's the number one for, for NASA to do that. But they also say, Bill Nelson said that this is also something that we should look into from a scientific point of view. So maybe they will be doing that uh, after this nine-month uh, first, um, um, you could say, it's, it's a small study, really. Right. As encouraging as that is to hear NASA say that they're putting together a group of scientists to start studying this, um, don't you think it's odd that with their their main focus of business being on space and the exploration of, that they're just now deciding to to do something of that. You would think that they would have done that years and years ago. Yeah, but as, as I said, they are not looking into this as a space mystery. NASA has a huge department just working with air, air flight and, and flight safety. Uh, that's one of their main issues, really. Mm-hmm. People doesn't really appreciate that because it's not very well known, I should say. Uh, so NASA may, in the, the next step after this nine-month study, they may start a real study, and that study may also look into this as a real, what is this really, and what's behind the phenomenon. Yeah. You know, fairly recently. I hope so. I hope so, so too. I hope so, too. It's it's well overdue for us to have some concrete answers. Um, whether the public ever gets that or not, I don't think I'll see it in my life. Um, but at least scientifically, uh, at least if there are people working on it and and there is some knowledge behind it, I guess that's uh, I guess that's better than nothing. Um, you know, you've 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 been in this for a long time and you know, there, we were talking, you know, like TikTok and, and social media things, you know, one of the, one of the videos that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, there was actually two videos of it. Uh, from one was, I believe over, over Russia. And the other one was over the, uh, the Pentagon of the, of the large pyramid that seemed to be slowly rotating above um, the, uh, the Pentagon, um, I've, I've since found that, you know, that was hoaxed and it was manipulated in some way. Um, what are, what are some of the things that stand out to you in recent years, really compelling evidence of these things in our skies and, and pretty much beyond a doubt? You know, what my expertise is really the ghost rockets from the 1946, when uh, lots of strange rocket-like crafts did uh, crash into lakes in Sweden and Norway, and some in Finland, I think. Um, More than 100 crashes were noted by the Swedish military in just 1946. Uh, They were looking for them. 
they were diving, they were trying to find something, but all they all they could found, find was an indentation in the bottom of the lake, and maybe stones thrown up uh, on the shore, but lots of witnesses that had been around the lake that saw those objects, and this, those crashes uh, still occurs today, and just a couple of months ago I went to a, a small lake uh, in the south of Sweden, interviewing a man who did see one of those objects coming flying over him in 2012 and suddenly vanishing straight down into the water without a splash, nothing. It just assimilated like in the water. And uh, such things uh, happens from time to time here in Sweden. And it's very physical. You can hear the sound from them. You can see the sun shining in the hull. And you can hear most of the time the splash, not this time, but most of the time you can see this column of water being thrown up in the air afterwards as well. So it's very, very physical. But no one has ever, ever found those ghost rockets. And, you know, when you when you use the word rocket, that, that emotes a, a, a strong visual representation in, in your brain of being something long, cylindrical, and, you know, much like what we consider rockets. Um, Is is that the description of these things as well, or? Oh, it is. It is. 90% of them are described as rockets with or without wings. Uh, Some of them, the the rest, 10%, are like uh, delta-shaped objects, like uh, small aircraft. Yeah. Uh, But... uh, Rockets are, are the main the main character of what uh, people are describing them as. And has there been has there been some you know confusion that you know the the, the possibility of these things being uh, you know launched from a, a different country uh, as part of a uh, uh, an airstrike uh, you know a practice practice run something like that. Um, are they, are they, is the possibility that they're rigged to, to explode and, and not leave any trace of them once they enter the water? Um, it just, you know, that, that long cylindrical shape, even though there's a, a number of reports and they seem to be a lot older, um, of, of cigar shaped UFOs in the sky. Um, it's not a typical, uh, not a typical description of of what we've come to know uh, of ufos no not maybe in the u.s but uh, over here it is is it really uh, yeah um i mean of course the swedish military thought it was the russians we always think it's the russians you know um but the problem is in 1946 just two years earlier the nazi germany rockets the v-bombs were sent uh, towards London, and some of them missed and uh, landed in, in Sweden or Swedish waters. And on one occasion in 1944, uh, one of those V-bombs crashed in uh, the south of Sweden, and it left uh, thousands of kilos of debris. But uh, just two years later, in 1946, you di- cannot find any single piece of debris after those rockets. So. It must have taken a quantum leap in technology if that should be uh, rockets from Russia. 
and of course they flew much much longer uh, than they could at that time and we also know that uh, the Russians were not launching any rockets at that time they were doing other stuff with the Nazi V-bombs that they brought back from Germany into Russia so it is a mystery and uh, it's uh, it's really not possible for a foreign power to do this uh, and it's nothing to gain from it it's very very problematic if you are uh, if you are seen doing this and if you are going to find evidence that is from any country of course it will be tremendously problematic uh, diplomatically throughout throughout the world you know these things have been reported nearly everywhere um you know and for us in in the US it seems that the um that the the culture of UFO um started in the 1940s you know with the Roswell incident and and then moving forward um but that's not the case i mean there's there's been reports of these things throughout history and yeah. it, it's just we're if if somebody were interested in in starting out their journey into looking into this and and bypassing Roswell as being the incident that that started it all because it wasn't uh, what would you suggest would be the best uh, you know is there is there a book or a, a specific author that we, you would point somebody to yeah, I would read uh, Chris Obeck's uh, Wonders in the Sky or Jack Vallée's uh, Passport to Magonia and, uh, of course, Jack Vallée and Chris Obeck's um, um, sequel to, to Passport to Magonia. And those three books uh, covers uh, loads of older, only older cases, mm-hmm. uh, hundreds of years back, but mostly from the 16, 17, 1800s. Um, they are very good reads very well researched and uh, I could really recommend them. Do you put any, do you put any credence behind the whole ancient alien theory? Um, you know, that they've been with us throughout history and have influenced in, in some way, uh, our, our cultures as we've, uh, as we've grown. I, I really don't think so. I mean, that was what started me off maybe with Eric von Däniken, as you, but uh, I don't think I can see any traces of that, really. If you travel to those cultures, which I have mm-hmm. done, uh, you can see, of course, uh, very skilled uh, ancestors to ours that have built fantastic monuments uh, that have lasted for hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of years. Uh, but they did it because they were skilled. They didn't need any help from any brothers from the stars. Right. I really cannot see any evidence uh, for that either. But of course, we have always believed in uh, visitations from the heavens. Uh, That is part of the religion, really. So Mm -hmm. it's with us all the time. And now we are just trying to put this in uh, modern shapes we can understand. We think we can understand what happened in those old scriptures. And that, I think, is uh, is problematic uh, that we are putting our glasses on trying to understand what happened two thousand years ago. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I've had, I've had several shows about spirituality and, you know, delving into the Bible and, you know, the paranormal and all that stuff. 
Um, and, and it is, it's a, it's a thing that I continually bring up and it's like those, those scriptures, those were written, written in a way and for a group of people that had a, a very specific understanding. And it, you know, if that was to happen today, it would be written in an entirely different way. And it, I just don't think, like you said, I don't think you can put a, a, a perspective of modern day glasses on and look back at that and have any real understanding of, of what was going on. I mean, it's very easy to think that when you see uh, some rock carvings or things like that, a person looking like our astronauts today, that it must have been an astronaut 2000 years ago. Mm-hmm. But that's making things very, way too easy, I think. I mean, uh, and I think that is what you are saying as well. We need to understand uh, the culture at that time right. and listen to the, the people, which we cannot. We have so small fragments from from their beliefs and uh, who they were. It's very, very hard for us to understand how life was a couple of thousand years ago. You know, like we have we have Roswell here in the U.S., um, you know, and that is that has spawned an entire uh, life of its own. And yes, it was pretty much the birth of of UFO um, awareness in in the U.S. Um, how how important do you think that that event was? Do you do you believe that it was an actual event? Do you think it was? You know, I, I have a hard time when. When you talk about the U.S. military, who was at that time uh, the, you know, arguably the world power, um, hmm. to make a mistake like that <laughs> seems yeah. seems very unlikely. I think it's unlikely as well. I think uh, Roswell meant a lot when it comes to what we are believing in and what we want to believe. But I don't think it was a craft from another world crashing there. And, of course, Roswell wasn't the first. I mean, as we have have said now a couple of minutes ago, there are loads of observations and things that have been falling to the ground way before Roswell. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a little strange that the first witnesses came out in 1980, so many years afterwards, thinking that they had clear memories of what happened yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, 14, I mean, what was it, 34, 33 years earlier. And uh, it's impossible to, to remember things as clear uh, today as it was, of course, when it happened. Sure. So we should take that with a grain of salt, I think. What, what, are, your, what are your thoughts on Bob Lazar? Uh, it's just a one-off. I mean, he's telling stories that is quite incredible. Uh, I have not, I'm not a very easy believer. <laughs> I want to see proof. I want to see some tangible evidence or at least some corroboration. And I haven't seen that from Bob Lazar. He's one of many, many people telling very strange stories without any backupping of that. So I love to, I, I love to hear your skepticism. I, I do. It's 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 encouraging because you know I I talk to a lot of people about Bigfoot on my show. 
and uh, you you have you do run into some people like yourself who are are very skeptical who have an open mind to it and, and you know uh, in enjoy entertaining the po- probability that something like that could possibly exist um, but then you have you know every 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 noise in the woods is a bigfoot um, and and it's it's refreshing to talk to somebody who has been doing this for as long as you have and you're still skeptical skeptical that not everything is ufo and uh, i'm a critical but uh, sympathetic investigator and i i think it's very important to listen to the witnesses but not to take their statements as uh, the answer mm-hmm. people have seen so many strange things so i i have no doubt that there are uh, unknown crafts you can call them that we don't really know what they are. I mean, I, I've seen stuff myself that I, after many years now, think, oh, wow, did I really see that? But I was together with my wife, so I'm, I'm very fortunate that I, was, I wasn't there alone. But um, I interview witnesses all the time. I do that a uh, couple of times every week. And that is really what keeps me ticking, to meet those people that have encountered what for them are a mystery, a real mystery. And I'm trying to find the answer for them, for their mystery. And that is really what keeps me, me ticking. You know, uh, when I was a child, um, you know, you would think when I tell you this event, you would think that it would have stuck with me, that I would have known exactly what time it was, exactly what day it was, what month, what year. Um, and I simply don't. Um, but it has stayed with me throughout my life since it's happened. Uh, I was about the age of 12 or 13. I was, uh, my, my grandmother was babysitting. My parents were out for the evening. I was staying up. It was around 1030, quarter to 11 at night. We were watching TV and it was dark as it gets. You know, it was almost 11 o'clock at night. And in my neighborhood, which I live in a normal neighborhood, our houses are maybe 40 feet apart. Um, probably two ho- 200 houses in the neighborhood. And I, it was summertime. We had the door open. The windows were open with screens. And we we're not far from a regional airport. And it was not uncommon to hear planes flying overhead. And, you know, the Doppler effect, with, you hear it way off in the distance. It's not so loud. And then it gets over your house. It's loud. And then it, it goes towards the airport and it, it gets quiet again. Well, I was laying on the floor watching TV on my stomach, had my, my hands up underneath my chin, and I heard a, an airplane going over, and it just continued to go. It, it just kept going. It, it wasn't getting any quieter. It just, and I remember looking back at my grandmother and saying, geez, Grandma, that, that plane has taken forever to go over the house. And, you know, she was too worried about doing her crossword puzzle in her TV guide and smoking her, smoking her cigarettes. And she really wasn't paying much attention to me. And all of a sudden, my neighborhood lit up in the brightest light that I could possibly ex- try explaining to you. This, I'll try to make it short, um, I stood up, I walked over to the window, I looked outside, and I can remember looking across the street, seeing between the houses, um, I remember 
I remember the the one thing that really, really got to me was when I noticed that nothing was leaving a shadow. I could see the under canopy of the oak trees across the street. The underneath of the trees were lit. I could see the back of the leaves. Everything was bright. It was beyond midday, sunny, clear blue skies. It was beyond that. It, the, the one thing that I can kind of draw correlation to is like watching your parents' first color TV and then going out and buying your first 4K flat panel TV and the difference in the clarity and the vibrance of the colors and all that. That's what it was like when that light lit up. And I can remember looking to the east and the really weird thing of it was, was that even though the houses to the east of mine and to the west of mine were all lit up in this bright light, I could still see beyond that and see the darkness outside of the neighborhood. <laughs> um, I didn't hear anything other than remembering hearing that plane going overhead. Um, and it, it lasted, you know, what seemed to me to be several minutes. And I can remember looking over at my grandma and saying, grandma, what the heck is going on? You know, what, what is this? And she said, Oh honey, it's probably just a storm. Get away from the window. And it wasn't raining. It wasn't storming. There was nothing, there was no weather going on. And she eventually she eventually got up, came over and grabbed me by my right arm and started to pull me away from the window. She pulled me away from the window. And as she grabbed my arm, the light went out. Mm. And at the, at the end of my street, it kind of goes, it curves. My, my neighborhood is like a series of ovals and there is a dusk to dawn street light there. And as she pulled me away from the window, I saw that light starting to flicker like it was coming back on. So whatever happened, whatever caused that, it, it did affect that light. And I, I do have that as my, my one little piece of, you know, proof. Um, yeah. A couple of days later, that was on a Friday night. On Sunday, my parents only got the newspaper on Sundays because they had the grocery ads were in there. And on Sunday... I, that next morning I'd woke up and I told my parents about it. And my grandma, with her, she was, she was, li she was living there as well. They were all sitting in the kitchen having coffee and I was super excited. I'm like, Oh my God, you guys aren't going to believe, you know, it's UFO and you know, the whole neighborhood was lit up and I went through the whole thing and I looked over at my grandma and I said, tell him grandma, tell him. And she was like, Oh, I don't know, honey. I don't know what that was. I, it, it was weird. I don't know. But she, she just like would not talk about it. And I remember being so upset with her that she, you know, she was throwing me under the bus on this. Um, but Sunday, three days, you know, the third day, um, I was walking through the house and my dad said, hey, kid, here's your UFO story. And in the paper, it had a very small little paragraph that said residents of residents of Hollyhock Road witnessed lights in the sky above Claffey's Field on Friday night. Well, Hollyhock Road is the road that's right outside my neighborhood. Claffey's Field is where all the kids would go play, whether it was, you know, playing soccer or football or whatever. It was just a small two-acre plot of land that they didn't farm. So it all lined up with, you know, the events that 
but I never saw what the source of that light was. And till this day, I, I, I sure wish I knew what the hell happened because it was, it was really weird. So for how long time did you hear this uh, sound from the beginning? I, you know, it, it just was the sound of an airplane, what I thought was an airplane. And it went on for way longer. You know, it sounded like it was over the house. Mm. Now, I'm not saying it was like hovering over the house, but, you know, it sounded directly above us. But it went on for long enough for me to recognize that the plane should have passed us by the now. You know, it should have, it should have flown over. Um, but it didn't sound weird. It didn't sound, you know, uh, metallic-y or anything. It sounded basically like a, an airplane. You know, that was my impression was it was an airplane going overhead. Because the strange thing to me, trying to figure out an explanation for, for what you did see is that the sound came first and the light came second. Because if it had been what most people would think uh, was a bright ball light, it would be the light first and, and the sound afterwards. Mm. See, now so I can't, I, I honestly, I cannot remember if that noise had continued during the light. I, I don't remember that at all. I don't remember if it was still making that noise during the, during the event while the light was on. Um, no, but, but nevertheless, the, the light should have come first and you uh, the sound afterwards that's the the way it works so it's strange uh, of course i mean ball lights looks like what you are describing they are lighting up all the neighborhood for maybe 10 15 seconds you did see it for a longer time obviously it, see, it certainly seemed like it yes yeah but that's I, the only only thing i could compare it with and it doesn't really fit yeah it was strange. I, yeah. I, you know, I can close my eyes and I can, I can see it over again, you know, and like I said, I yeah. was 12 or 13 and, uh, it was strange it really. And, you know, years later, uh, and I want to say this is maybe like five or six years ago. Um, I was actually talking with a woman who, uh, she, she said, you know, what kind of, what kind of, what are your interests? What are you into? What do you like? And I started saying, you know, well, you're probably going to think I'm weird, but UFOs and Bigfoot, yeah. all this stuff. And, uh, she said, Oh, have you ever seen a UFO? And I said, no, I, I haven't, but I went and I told her the story I just told you. And she's like, Oh my God, my brother told me the same exact thing. And I said, well, and she lived down in Florida. So we were miles and miles away, but she was originally from my hometown. Yeah. And I asked her where, where they lived and it was due east in a straight line, due east, about 15 minutes away from where I lived. So if he saw the same thing, if it was moving in the direction towards my neighborhood, which is what I assumed the sound of the plane, the, the plane sounded like it was coming out of the east going west towards our airport. Um, it would make sense that it, it was coming over, over where he lived as well. So, and I never, uh, things didn't work out. So I never ended up getting a chance to talk with her brother. So that would have been interesting. Our friends over at Manscaped would like to wish everyone a happy new year. 
The ball is officially dropped, but that doesn't mean you have to drop the ball on your balls in 2023. Whether you've had a New Year's kiss or not, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming have you covered for your much-needed resolution of bringing sexy back. Join the 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with our exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com and use the code UNCOMFORTABLE22 for 20% off and free shipping. It's a new year, new balls, with the global leader in below-the-waist grooming. This year, take your package to the next level with their Performance Package 4.0 and other premium wet goods. Inside the Performance Package 4.0, you'll find the signature Lawnmower 4.0. The advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts and nicks on your delicate parts. A grooming routine isn't complete without applying Crop Preserver and Crop Reviver before showing off your new 2023 self. These unique formulations take care of the smelliest parts of your body and are a big boost to your confidence in the new year. To complete the set, Manscaped threw in their shed travel bag and anti-chafing boxer briefs as free gifts to keep all your goodies stored comfortably. If you really want to make 2023 the year to remember, make sure to try out Manscaped's wet goods as well. This includes their ultra premium body wash, two-in-one shampoo, and body deodorant. These products are the absolute perfect follow-up for any visit to the gym. Cheers to new balls in 2023. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code uncomfortable22 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the code uncomfortable22. Time to feel sexy and free in 2023. Yeah, uh, I can. I did see something when I was around sixteen or seventeen, out looking for for uh, meteor meteors because I'm an amateur astronomer. Uh, so I spent a lot of time out in the backyard in Mariestad, and I saw this um, disc-shaped uh, thing flying from horizon to horizon, very sharp and uh, nice edges. Uh, and when I looked back on my notes many, many years later. And that's really what's the most interesting thing for me. I always told this story as I saw this thing for 30 seconds. But when I looked at my notes, it said three seconds. Uh, so my, my memory had, uh, had expanded this to be something better than it really was. Yeah. So that, that's probably pretty common. Don't you think? It's very common. And, uh, it's a very big problem. You're coming too late to witness. You must be there. Do you think it's because in an instant like that, your your mind switches to trying to absorb as much detail? Um, you know, I, that's the one thing, like the lights over my neighborhood. I the, the detail that I remember seeing, recognizing that there were no shadows, being able to see the backsides of the leaves and the trees, and, you know, are we, do we just like when something like that happens, do you think we kick into being hyper aware and does that probably create a, uh, a distortion in what we think the amount of time that's passed? I think the distortion is coming later because in my, when I saw my thing, this disc shaped thing, I made my notes 10 seconds after I did see it. So my notes were fresh three seconds. Fine. But uh, 20 years later, when I told the story, it was 30, 30 seconds in my mind because I had gone over this and thought about it so many times, so I expanded it to be something more. So I think if you had made notes at that time, 
that would have been very valuable. And then you had really, really known what, it's much more than you know now, I think. Uh, but it sounds very strange. Uh, it could have been an airplane, the first the sound. It could have been a bolide. It could have been distortion of your memories. If I really want to, to to play the devil's uh, advocate here, but uh, it's hard to tell. It's yeah. too late. So. Yeah, it's way too late. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, it, I'm we a... do this all the time. I must say that we we ufologists are coming too late all the time because we are not there when it happens. So what we can do is to doing our best to be at least there not too late. And when people are calling you for Sweden, which is my organization, which I work with, we always uh, uh, record their conversation. So we have it the first impression. And you must let them talk, not interrupt with lots of questions. After you listen to them, then you can start asking your question. And then you are going out to visit them on the spot where they did their observation. And then you must start it all over again with the tape recorder again and trying to get the best out of the witnesses. Now, you you mentioned, like, with my instance, ball light. Um, And then we were talking about the the ghost rockets, you know, which are long and cylindrical. And then your, your witness, witnessing of a... Uh, a craft that was more in lines with what we consider a classic saucer, correct? Yeah. You know, and then we have the reports of the, uh, the, the triangular shaped and, you know, there's, there's a number of different categories of, of shape of craft that, that are being witnessed. Um, what in your experience, what seems to be the most, popular or the most uh most recorded as far as but the shapes it's a speck of light in the night <laughs> it's just nothing really it's just a speck of light that's the most common i said 90 percent of all reports coming to you for sweden are just this tiny light in the night and uh when it comes to daylight observations which are of course more interesting uh you don't have many sources anymore People don't see those disc-shaped things anymore. Uh, the few people who really see crafts in, in daylight, they describe them in so many different ways. So it's hard to pinpoint a certain one that is more popular than, than the other. Because real UFOs, if I call them like that, I mean real unidentified objects that have been investigated and not found uh, a mundane explanation to, are very, very scarce. There are very few of them. We get around 300 reports every year to you for Sweden. And maybe one or two are labeled UFO after being investigated. Mm-hmm. Very, very few. Now, like the the point of light in the sky that you're talking about, you know, the small little pinpoint of, of light that I would, I would assume um, people who are reporting that as a UFO must be doing so because they witnessed it doing something that was exhibiting abilities beyond what they think uh, would would be a well a, not a regular not crash. necessarily not necessarily it just comes to that it's maybe a bright light that they don't understand right now we have been investigating so many observations of Jupiter uh, that I cannot really remember every one of them and it's just a bright light in the sky really. But people think that they are moving when they are not. 
and they think that they are blinking when it's only the clouds or something else that makes them blink. So um, no, it's very, very few that describes extraordinary movements. It's very, 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 very few. We have a few, but not many. What about, what about, I, w- I want to say, considered them to be like biological UFOs, things that are in our skies that are there to be seen, uh, that some people have gotten video of, that look like they are more biological than nuts and bolts. Do you, do you, have, do you have any reports of those? You know, like the uh, the the manta ray shaped, the manta ray shaped things, uh, the 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 like atmospheric jellyfish that that we hear about. Um, the one that the one that really kind of gets to me in my gut when I see it, I'm like, that's that seems organic. That seems legitimate to me. Is this this thing that is? It's almost like a a dark charcoal gray, almost black cloud that has like tendrils that run off the back of it. Oh, they almost look like, um, you know, like the, the tentacles off of a squid or an octopus, you know, there's three or four of them that kind of drape behind this thing as it's moving along. And I've seen multiple videos of it. Daylight. Yes. Do you get many investigate, many questions to investigate anything that seems like, it falls more in lines with being a, a biological uh, creature, or no, no, not really. I mean, when we do get the reports that uh, looks like what you just described, they are in in the nighttime, and um, most of the time they are launches from uh, the Plesetsk Cosmodrome in 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 Russia, which you can see from Sweden, and then you can see those uh, tentacles coming out from from the launch oh, really uh, yeah but uh, in daylight I don't think we I cannot remember anyone really uh, that there, fits your description there, there's one that I saw very recently it's uh, I believe it's out the uh, out the window of a cockpit of a plane like it had been filmed by the one of the pilots or co-pilots and it was this large dark cloud looking you know it, it didn't look like it was much different than uh just a, a dark gaseous thing but it had these these tendrils that came out the back of it that uh it, it, it i don't know it it looked it really organic to me interesting. i mean uh, if it's daylight if it's filmed from a cockpit for a certain amount of time it, it uh it's really of great interest. Do you know if it's ever been investigated by that someone I, or uh, published? <laughs> that I don't know. That, uh, like I said, I just saw it uh, recently, like maybe within the last week, and I wouldn't even begin to know what you know what that was called, or you know how to search what the what somebody would be referring to that. You know, um, it, it was very interesting looking. Um, Again, it could have been the remnants of of something else. Um, I don't know. It kind of, you know, the idea of... 
there is really no lack of stories. There are lack of good investigations. And uh, I, I don't spend that much time looking on YouTube films or things like that because it really doesn't give me any information. Right. It's just entertainment. Uh, what I try to do is to investigate things that I can get my hands on myself to meet the witnesses and analyze the films. Uh, the rest is, uh, is entertainment. Uh, if it's not been properly investigated by a proper investigator, of course. Well, and I suppose that's a luxury that you have that, you know, the majority of us don't because, you know, you, you steep yourself in this, you, like you said, four to five hours a day and, and you're going out and you're talking to these people, you're visiting the sites where they had their, uh, sightings and, and, and you're, you're actually doing investigative work. Uh, whereas I sit and talk to people who do the investigative work. So, um, you know, I, I, equally, I think, uh, I think both are, are beneficial to people. Um, you know, I, I get to bring you in front of an audience, um, hmm. to talk about your stuff and then they can, they can go and find your stuff and, and research and, you know, decide how far they want to get into this. Um, that's really what I do. We, we, we have this archives for the unexplained, which is the world's largest uh, archive for, for unknown stuff and UFOs, of course. Mm -hmm. And we are trying to help people with information all the time. Uh, it's huge. It's 2.5 miles with the shelf capacity. And uh, so it's quite big. Uh, and there's millions and millions of uh, newspaper clippings, uh, UFO reports, uh, reports of ghosts, uh, entities, whatever, huge library. So people come to us, they sit there, uh, or they visit us through through our webpage, afu.se, and we are trying to help them with good information. We're trying to save for posterity uh, the works from ufologists all around the world. So that's keep uh, keeps me busy and it's very important to share information so what you're doing is very good i mean sharing information is uh, really important uh, just to keep up that work <laughs> i appreciate that and you as well um you know i like i said i think you know sometimes like a good 50 pretty close to 50 percent of my episodes have been about bigfoot um mm whether they're a researcher, whether they're, you know, considered themselves to be, or nobody really wants to admit that they consider themselves to be an expert, but there are people that are, you know, because of today's technology with being able to go to YouTube and, you know, look at all these different videos of whatever, whether it's hauntings, whether it's, you know, paranormal events, whether it's UFOs, whether it's Bigfoot, you can find a number of videos and fill your, you can fill weeks of your time watching these videos and you know, there's a good number of them that are hoaxed or they're actually just being misidentified by the viewer um, yeah. because it looks like something. Um, there's a lot of bad information that you have to weed through. And, yeah. and I imagine for yourself when you're doing it in person, how many times how many times does your heart sink when you show up on site with somebody who gave you a, what you thought could be a credible account and when you get there face to face and they're, they're relaying the information to you, do you immediately go to, Oh God. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that happens <laughs> quite a lot, of course. Uh, but I'm not into this because I want to prove something for myself. I'm trying to help the people who have seen things to get uh, get an answer. Yeah. And most of them are very, very positive when we are showing them uh, the answer for what they were were seeing. Uh, not everyone is, of course. Uh, some of them really wants to keep their mystery. Uh, but I'm not into this for my own sake. So I'm not that disappointed, really. I'm uh, always uh, glad if I can find an answer to any observation, really. And if I don't find the answer, find the answer it's uh, really not very good. I haven't done my, my homework properly. Um, but we do have some very good cases that I have investigated, uh, and we don't have the answer. And there are multiple witnesses, there are radar returns, there are pictures. Altogether, in one case, yeah. we can say that this is something real, something very strange. So I know it, 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 it is happening, but not as often as people would love to do, would love to think. I don't know if you're aware of, uh, there's a show on Netflix that is called Unsolved Mysteries. And yeah. it was it was a show a long time ago, back in the 90s, and now they've brought it back and they've redone it. And uh, I believe it's episode three of this newest season is a UFO report that happened in 1994, uh, about an hour and 20 minutes north of me, almost directly north, along the, uh, along the coastline of Lake Michigan on the east side of the lake. And it was a number of, I believe, 300 witnesses who had called in saying that they were observing strange lights in the sky. Uh, but the really compelling part about it was that the weatherman stationed in that town saw these things on the radar return and witnessed this for two and a half hours. And he was able to tell, you know, the, the elevation, you know, when they were at, you know, 2,000 feet versus 25,000 feet. And two and a half hours he sat on the phone with somebody at the, uh, I believe, the police department who was the dispatch agent and was corroborating the sightings that they were receiving with what he was seeing on the, on the radar return. And it was, it's a very compelling, it, it was, it's, it's a very interesting show. They did a very good job. You know, a lot of these shows, they don't do a very good job of uh, portraying the incident. Uh, this one, in fact, they did a, a phenomenal job. Um, and to the point where after this was over, so many people were trying to interview the weatherman that the the office that he worked for basically told him you need to pack your bags and go find yourself a different job because we're not going to be um, known for being the the UFO weather place. Um, so he ended up having to leave the state. He actually moved to Georgia to finish out his his years as being a uh, a weatherman. And uh, some twenty two years later, he's now returned to Michigan 
to go back and start finding the people who were or are still alive who witnessed gather the gather their uh, accounts and and try to do something with it um, it's it's a really it, and it, the thing is I remember you know like I said I was less than an hour and 20 minutes away from this event when it happened and <clears throat> I, I think I was married for you know three or four years at the time we had our first house and I can remember hearing about this on the local news. And uh, many years later, I end up working with a gentleman who was actually at a beach on the same side of the lake during this, where he saw this event happen. And he said, and they did not touch about this in the, in the documentary at all. He said that when the lights left, there were three military planes that came from the west side of the lake out of the area of Chicago, Illinois, just screaming across the lake and basically flew right through where they were and continued to fly east um, after, they had, after they had left. So it, it was, it's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting event. I'm surprised that it's not more widely held as uh, um, one of the big, you know, the, the big items. You hear about Kecksburg all the time and, you know, yeah. and Roswell and all that. But this this one seemed to have, you know, like I said, there were there were over 300 witnesses to the uh, to the event. So, Yeah, but that is a very interesting event. Um, it's, it's well known here in Sweden as well, probably because of the show being aired mm-hmm. again. Yeah. But uh, we have been talking about it, and it's, uh, yeah, it's really interesting. So many witnesses, of course, yeah. and so long time. I'm very interested. I'm, I'm hoping to, to be able to get the weatherman uh, to come on the show and, and talk about it. Oh, yeah, that will be something. So this is, if, if, my, if my geography is correct, um, the Baltic Sea anomaly, mm. that, that, that's fairly near to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is is that is that just a bunch of hogwash, or is there something to that? Well, I talk, I know the guys who found it, and uh, I talked to one of the divers who went down there. It's uh, 80 meters deep, so it's quite problematic and very expensive to dive there. They only been there this one expedition, and it's quite a few years now. Um, as far as I know, it's, uh, it's a lot of formations like that in the area. And the geologists I've been talking to are telling me that it's a normal uh, geologic uh, formation that is common in, in, in the Baltic, in, in, at least in that area. And as far as I know as well, is that it's made of stone. And now we are back to that by putting the glasses on here. People are Oh, it looks like Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. I mean, from Star Wars. What does that have to do with anything, really? Mm-hmm. Something in, at the bottom of the sea looks like something from a sci-fi movie. Why should we think it's a crashed UFO? Uh, of course it's not. I mean, everything points to this being a normal formation. And uh, I've not seen no evidence that points in any other direction. But everyone knows about it. Everyone asks about. 
it's amazing how as time passes and and things people can't leave things alone you know i i saw something very recently about this baltic sea anomaly where the gentleman was sitting there and and boldface lying to the camera saying you know there's been multiple multiple dives on this and every time they they get there the uh, their equipment stops working and their electronics stop working and it's like all you have to do is go watch the documentary of the guys that found it and see that they're, you know, they, they lost their, uh, their sonar, their side sonar at one point, but they were able to recover it, but they weren't having any issues with, you know, the only issues they were having were the, uh, the, the clarity of the water and, and not being able to see, you know, more than a couple of feet in front of them. So, you know, but the, the thing that, the thing that was compelling to me about that was what looked to be like a trench that that precedes the the anomaly itself uh when you look when you look at that sonar and and i'm not versed at reading sonar so you know it, it could just be looking like a trench um but that that looked very odd to me it, you know yeah I cannot uh, say I know what the trench is either, but uh, there is nothing that suggests it's a craft. There's nothing to that at all, really. Uh, but uh, I talked to a geologist in, in Uppsala University, and he, he says that uh, he had seen samples from it, and it's stone. And it's may, may, maybe very old, this uh, starship. <laughs> the stone age, man. Instead of a lead zeppelin, it was a, to- a stone zeppelin. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so this other group that you're involved with, that uh, where you're collecting information on all the different uh, strangeness, all the paranormal yeah. and and stuff like that. Um, if you could touch, and and then I'll let you go because I know it's late where you're at. Um, what is something that is highly unusual? for your your area of the world um you know i know is it norway that you know they say trolls or uh you know the giant giant trolls and stuff like that is there something in sweden that is is like readily accepted as being a part of your culture that is is has shown signs that there there's possibility that they, they exist you know, we have those gnomes, small entities, maybe a meter in length. Um, they are still reported. They are with us since hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, like, uh, like, uh, what should you say? It's like a small child, but very old looking with old clothes and, uh, and beards quite often, and a hat. They can be seen still today. Uh, I interviewed quite a few people that had uh, met those gnomes, and uh, they are quite uh, not common, but they are common if you read your stories hundreds of years back here in Sweden and Norway mm-hmm. and Finland, of course. They have been with us for for many, many years. But you should think that uh, aliens would have pushed them out of, of our social context by now, but they haven't. 
they are still there in the background. And I interviewed one man who saw one of those entities in full daylight, seeing this uh, door to a barn open, and this small entity coming out from the barn, walking in front of him, stopping and looking at him and, and saying some words like, oh, it was much better in the older times, it was still animals here in the barn, now it's nothing. And then walking away, just vanishing. And he could see the traces, his, the footprints in the snow mm-hmm. afterwards. So that is strange. I mean, for me, aliens or, or folklore entities like that are walking hand in hand. I couldn't really distinguish between those entities. They are mixing together in some way that I really cannot, uh, I don't know where the boundaries are. Does there seem to be a common thread or common threads throughout, you know, since you, you do investigate all of the different strangeness, do you notice a, a, a thread of commonality between UFOs and encrypted type beings and entities and, and in, in a way they are coming and going in our reality like that, you know, like just uh, sometimes just passing by or uh, not really from here, <clears throat> no, sorry, not really coming from here, but from other part of the reality. But they look very much like uh, they are here in the flesh. You can hear the sounds from them and you can see the, the traces, as I said. You can hear the voices, but they are coming and going. And if you're looking for them, you will not find them. <laughs> yeah, that's so strange. It's it's almost like, you know, they talk about uh, there being a veil and in, in certain areas or because of certain things that are happening, that veil can be thinned and we're either peering into another uh, reality or, or they're sliding into our reality. And it does very much seem to be something like that because you, you get that with reports of Sasquatch and Bigfoot here. Um, you get that with, you know, paranormal activity in, in haunted homes and um, haunted places. Um, you know, and I had an interesting conversation not too long ago and someone was talking about, um, you know, hearing the knocks uh, that happen on walls and in like in a, um, a ghost investigation. But yet yeah. when people report being in the presence of Bigfoot and Sasquatch in the woods, they also report hearing knocks. You know, they're hearing tree knocks and stuff like that. And people talk, describe being in the woods and seeing balls of light. Well, I personally was in a in a location where I saw a small ball of light that was about the size of a golf ball that manifested right in front of my face. Um, it was it was putting off its own light. It literally came out of nowhere, and then it just kind of zipped around real quick, and then boom, it was gone. Um, yeah. You oh. know, and those so many similar things. It's like is is there a correlation between is are these the remnants or the artifacts of these things coming into our our perceptible reality? You know, are the the knocks? Is that you know everybody wants to say that knocks in haunted houses they're mocking the Trinity, um, you know, because it always comes in threes. 
Well, many of the reports of people hearing knocks in the woods are in threes as well. Maybe that's just a, a, an artifact of, of their presence coming into our perceptibility. Yeah, I mean, I've been looking into the ball lightning phenomenon quite a lot. And uh, <clears throat> some people say that uh, UFOs could be explained by ball lightning. But ball lightning isn't uh, fully understood, and uh, we don't ha uh, have a have a scientific uh, explanation to them. Really, I met quite a few people who have seen ball lightning, and I have read so many reports firsthand from witnesses that they do understand that ball lightning is not something that could exist. Really, it, it couldn't exist uh, if we just take our knowledge from the physics we know today into account we need to understand something more before we can understand ball lightning i mean sometimes they are killing people they are flying towards you and they kill you instantly other times they are just bouncing off your chest without hurting doing nothing some are small like golf balls or even like pearls some are big like i mean a couple of meters with spikes on and different colors and they can behave in so many different different ways. I had one case where a ball, light, ball lightning came jumping on poles on a fence. It bounced on every pole before it vanished down on, on a gravel road, and there it vanished. Like it was, it understood that the poles were no more, and it just vanished when, when the, the fence was finished. Uh, so it's very, very interesting. Uh, I really would love to see a good explanation for ball lightning. It may be a way to understand some of the UFO mystery, some of it, some of the lights uh, in the sky, maybe. In your investigations throughout the years, have you had believable or evidence of people, people coming into contact with entities coming into contact with actual entities i have met very very many people of course who have seen entities and even traveled in their ships whatever they are uh, but one of the most interesting cases uh, was uh, in the early 90s it was a guy who had read one of my books and he contacted me with a long long letter written by hand and he asked me to come down to visit him and his wife in the south of Sweden. And I traveled there, and I uh, knocked the door, and uh, he opened to me. And his wife was very annoyed because she hadn't been told that I was to, to come there. But it, after an hour, we, we were sitting there in the sofa, and she was telling the story. Uh, she told me that she went to bed, and this... Uh, Many, many times she fell asleep very, very fast. And she told me that when I wake up in the morning, most of the time I'm just laying exactly as I fell asleep. But this time, in the middle of the night, I woke up. I was like in a fetus position with my face towards uh, the cushion. And I was overing, maybe a decimeter, a couple of inches over the bed. I was drawn backwards out of the bed, and it was the room was illuminated. It should have been dark. She could see her husband 
fast asleep in the bed beside her. And she was trying to scream to wake him up, but it was impossible. She couldn't. Not a sound came out from her lips. So she grabbed him by, by his arm instead. And he, he wakes up. And he tells me that when he wakes up, he sees wife floating in the air, being dragged towards three entities, like the with the Streber entities, really, with mm. no hair, black eyes, no nose, really, a small mouth. And, and she was dragged towards them. They were standing there beside the bed, waiting for her. So he tried to kick them, kick at them. He, he, he took a really a shot to try to kick them. And when he did that, the room went dark and he could hear, hear the bounce from uh, his wife who was at that time outside the bed and she fell on the really? floor. And if you think that is strange, the next thing, thing that happened is more strange because she, uh, she, uh, she, she was uh, standing up, uh, laying down in the bed again and said, what was that? And he said, I don't know. And they fell asleep again. Next morning, they talked about it and compared notes. But they said to me, it was completely out of everything that we ever experienced. If it had been an animal, if it had been a neighbor, if it had been a burglar, we would have turned the lights on. Sure. Never have gone back to sleep. But something very, very strange happened to them, and they corroborated this. And they are now divorced. I interviewed them many, many years afterwards. They tell them the same story. Uh, they are not uh, covering up for anything or each other. Yeah. They still don't understand what happened that night. I'm sure you're aware of Skinwalker Ranch here in, in the U.S. Um, yeah. And, and the years of... Uh, of, of strangeness that uh, apparently takes place out there. Um, you know, Bigelow was uh, uh, heading up that for, for years and years with uh, government money and, and now the new owner of it. And, uh, you know, they have a very popular TV show and, you know, it's, it's the same of everything. You, you get a whole lot of really nothing, you know, they give you a couple of things that may or may not be produced um, just to get people coming back every week to watch. Um, in in your, throughout your years, do you think there's something significant going on in that area? I only know what I've seen on TV, really. It's so hard to tell. I've been in so many TV productions myself, so I'm very aware of what they want to accomplish. So I, I couldn't tell, really. I, I need to be there. I need to talk talk with the people who, to the people who have been experiencing those things before I could make a proper judgment. It sure seems that with with the amount of money purported to have been spent researching that area, um, you know, Bigelow in particular, uh, I, to my knowledge, there's none of his, none of the information that he gathered, none of the evidence that they gathered while his teams were there have ever been released. It, no. It's, you know, and it not even turned over to the new owner of the ranch who's essentially doing, funding the same same kind of research. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of, lot of bizarre stories. Very interesting. Makes for good reads. Um, 
but no as i said before there are no lack of good stories there are lack of good investigations of those stories well sir i i certainly want to pre i want to thank you and i appreciate you know the, the time that it is there versus here um I'm, I'm very happy to have had you on i would love at a another point to to revisit and uh, and have some further discussion on this stuff um klaus uh, if you would please i know you got a lot of books and uh if you could let our listeners know where they can go find your stuff um, where they can locate your website and uh and the name of that so they can look into that as well yeah, it's easy afu.se archives for the unexplained afu.se se for sweden there you'll find us and we also at ufo.se but that's only in swedish that's you for sweden's uh, web page mm-hmm. and in your books are available i would assume on amazon um my books are available on afu.se uh, we have a bookshop there uh, and you should really try that because we have books that are not easily found okay. uh, hundreds and hundreds of books that we are selling to promote uh, the archives and we also have a download page for free you can download thousands of you know, ufo magazines and documents and whatever you would like but go to our shop and uh, take a look there i wrote a book about the, the archives which is called the files of the unknown a couple of years ago which is a story of AFU, and it's a very interesting story, so please take a look at that. All right, sir. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much. Uh, I will still be awake for half an hour, I think, so. (laughs) All right, sir. We'll talk again. Absolutely. Glad to be back. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right, guys, that's it for tonight's show. I really hope you enjoyed tonight's episode with Klaus Svahn from Sweden. If you did, don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you can and share the show. Share it with friends. Share it with family. Share it with coworkers. The more listeners make for more experiencers, and if you've had an experience or have a story that you would like to have shared on Uncomfortable, please reach out to me at contact.uncomfortable at gmail.com or message me on Instagram or Facebook. And until next time, my friends, stay uncomfortable. <laughs>